the Bible Study Podcast, episode 262. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of 2 Samuel with chapter 21. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. Before we get into chapter 21, I want to take a little strategic break here. I want to talk about where we are and where we're going. As I've mentioned in the past, when we finish up the study of 2 Samuel, we will not go into 1 Kings, which would be the next thing that we would come naturally if we were continuing on in the Old Testament. One is I'm really tired of trying to record all the names here from the Old Testament. You have no idea how much I struggle with this and edit out me saying them wrong. I may still be saying them wrong, but I am at least saying them with confidence. And I want to move on to something else. And as I mentioned, where we're going to go on to next immediately is a study on the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is like is the phrase that we're going to be looking at in the New Testament. What does that have to do with Second Samuel, First and Second Samuel? And if you asked me last week, I would say, well, probably nothing other than I'm tired of being in the Old Testament. I want to get back to the New Testament. But as I was thinking about this today... It occurs to me that this is actually a wonderful, different contrast here because we're going from the first two kings of Israel to the kingdom of God. And remember that God did not want there to be a kingdom in Israel, that God was king, but the people demanded a king. And that's what we've been talking about as we talked about Samuel and as we talk about David. We talk about their failings, we talk about their strengths, and we talk about their struggles as we'll continue to do today. But when we transition into the kingdom of God, we're going into more of a godly model of the way God wants things to work and the way that God is moving to make things work. So as we look at the kingdom of God, we'll be leaving some of what we're dealing with today, some of the mess that we get when we put our own rulers into place, when we put people other than God first, and when we put their authority first. And so as we look at First and Second Samuel here, we have four more chapters. Think about that lens is how would all of this be different if God were in charge, if God were the number one person in charge here in Israel, in charge in Judah? And that would be one of the reasons why we're not going to continue on with First and Second Kings is I think it is time to go back to a study that is not just a book study, but also it gets a little depressing looking sometimes at this history of problems and history of failure somewhat. And that would get certainly much worse as we get into First and Second Kings, because as we look at the kings of Israel, all of them turn away from God. And as we look at the kings of Judah, basically there are two that stand out as good kings after David and Solomon. So just wanted to put that thought on your head as we prepare for the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God and a look at the kingdom of God that is in counterpoint to this second Samuel. Let's jump back into second Samuel, second Samuel 21, the Gibeonites avenged during the reign of David. There was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It is on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but they were the survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare them, but Saul in his zeal for Israel and Judah had tried to annihilate them. 
David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How shall I make atonement so that you will bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered him, we have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. What do you want me to do for you? David asked. They answered the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and their bodies exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. So the king said, I will give them to you. The king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armani and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Ea's daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzai the Maholathite. He handed them over to the Gibeonites, who killed them and exposed their bodies on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. Rizpah, daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down from the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds touch them by day or the wild animals by night. When David was told what Aya's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh Gilead. They had stolen their bodies from the public square at Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them after they had struck Saul down at Geboa. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zelah and Benjamin, and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. So this is, again, one of those stories that occurs to me that it's it's a terrible incident here where God has turned his back on the people because they were very disobedient through Saul. They had broken this oath and had killed and tried to completely annihilate this people whom they had sworn before God not to. Saul was trying to be zealous for Israel. He was trying to be zealous for God and for Judah. But in the process of this, he had actually angered God. And because of this angering of God, there were three successive years of famine. So there was a penalty. There was a consequence of this failure of Saul, the king. There was this consequence that caused his own people, that caused seven of his own family to be put to death to pay this price. But again, everything being out of whack here because of the unfaithfulness of Saul in this particular case. And then lastly, in Second Samuel 21, the war against the Philistines. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. And Ishbi Banab, one of the descendants of uh, Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armored with a new sword, said he would kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be exhausted. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Shibakai the Hushathite killed Saph, one of the the descendants of Rapha. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, 
Elhanan, the son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, twenty-four in all. He was also a descendant of Repha. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapha in Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. And so we're still fighting the Philistines. We're still fighting these giants among the Philistines or these... we're still fighting these giants or these unusually large men against the Philistines. But the big difference now is that David is starting to get old. We're starting to see that David's days are failing. And this is the first indication here because David's men finally say to him, it's it's time that you get off the battlefield. It's time that you don't lead us out into battle. And we'd seen that a little bit now, but now they're saying the time is done. You, you are getting too old for this. You're getting exhausted. You were nearly killed. And we can't have that happen to the Lord's anointed, to the king. And so at this point, we will fight your battles and you will stay back in the palace. And so we have three more chapters here as we wrap up David's life. We're going to get a song by David, David's last words. Then we're going to hear about some of David's mighty men, all the people who are fighting his battles. And then that will finish this story. With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Scripture and brain science agree. Meditating on God's Word transforms us and reduces stress in our lives. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week I give you space to hear God's Word, listen to the Spirit, and pray about what's on your heart. And then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.